0: conversation starter to influencing the way we work, play, travel and survive, the weather has a massive impact on day-to-day life in Ireland.
1: But what drives the weather we experience in this country and why does Ireland have such a varied climate?
0: Hello and welcome to the Met Aram podcast. I'm Liz Walsh.
1: I'm Noel Fitzpatrick and in today's episode we are asking the question, what causes Ireland's weather?
0: To help us navigate our way through rotating planets, jet streams and air masses, we are delighted to be joined by Metair and Meteorologist and Forecaster, Pat Clark. Mm -hmm. Pat, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today.
2: It's great to be here.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about your career in meteorology and um, how you got into it? And how long have you been at this job?
2: Well, I joined in autumn 1980. So, if we do the sums, I'm in the autumn of my career. So, uh, it's been a roller coaster ride and a very enjoyable experience. I've been largely in forecasting all that time. And um, I did a degree in fluid dynamics in University College Galway. And, of course, the weather is all about studying the fluid, which, which we call the atmosphere.
1: Did you go into fluid dynamics because you were really interested in the weather or is it something that came after that?
2: Um, It was just a topic I was interested in and was good at, so I enjoyed it and uh, afterwards I realised that uh, there was an application in meteorology, which was um, a great surprise
1: and uh, a great joy ever since. So today's topic is what causes Ireland's weather, but I guess to understand that we need to begin with the underlying processes and then we can sort of narrow that down into the more local effects here in Ireland. So Liz and Pat, you're both meteorologists, both forecasters, and maybe I'll start with you, Liz. Why do we have weather?
0: Well, Noel, um, in a very basic sense, all weather, wherever you happen to be on the planet, is caused by the uneven heating of the Earth by the sun. It's obviously a bit more complicated than that, but that's the basic premise. We all know extin- instinctively that it's hotter down near the equator and colder at the poles. And because nature likes balance, it's constantly trying to transfer the heat around the planet. And the way it does that is via the atmosphere and weather.
1: So as you say, we're, we're sort of generally aware that it's warmer at the equator and it's getting cooler as we as we move away towards the poles. But why, why is that the case? Why should there be this uneven distribution of heat?
0: Well, It's down to a number of factors. No, first of all, the shape of the Earth approximates a sphere, so it's got curvature. What this means in practice is that the equator essentially gets a maximum concentration of the sun's energy or radiation, while at the poles, the angle that the sun's radiation hits, if you like, is much more oblique and spread over a much larger area. And if you add that the tilt of the earth at different times of the year and then the fact that the earth is rotating you suddenly have quite a complex system of uneven heating
1: you you mentioned the earth uh, the the fact that the earth is rotating how, how much of an influence does that have on moving air around the planet
0: well there are several forces i guess that cause the air to move and the fact that the earth is rotating is certainly a big factor pretty crucial one really But the most important force in terms of the movement of air around us, i.e. the the wind, is actually gravity. Without gravity, there'd be no atmosphere at all. And what gravity does is it compresses the Earth's atmosphere and holds it close to the Earth. So gravity, in a sense, gives the air a weight. It creates pressure. If you think about it, air pressure or atmospheric pressure is simply the force exerted by the weight of the air. It's a measure of how heavy the air is above a point on the Earth. So if the air is lighter than its surroundings, you've got low pressure. And if the air is heavier than its surroundings, you've got high pressure.
1: So what's determining if we have a high or low pressure at a certain location? I mean, is there a tendency towards one or the other in, in different parts of the globe?
0: That's actually exactly what happens Um, we do get a tendency towards one or the other in different parts of the Earth. At the equator, the energy of the sun is concentrated much more um, than it is further north or south. If you think about for a minute the idea of a hot air balloon, you heat the air and this causes the balloon to rise up. So the warm air in the balloon is less heavy and less dense than the air around it. It has lower pressure. It weighs less. And in the same way, at the equator, the sun is shining directly onto the equator, causes the, it causes the air in the equatorial zone of the Earth to rise. So at the equator, we have low pressure.
1: When we hear low pressure, say in like the weather forecast, for example, mm-hmm. we usually associate that with unsettled weather, you know, cloud and rain. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's right. So, you know, you think about the equator and you think it's a warm place, but it's also quite a wet place. So you've got the warm air rising at the equator as you as the air goes up into the atmosphere, it cools a bit like when you get out of the shower and, you know, you see that the the uh, warm air has hit the cold mirror um, in your in your bathroom and it's clouded up. The same thing is happening in the atmosphere when when warm air rises through the atmosphere. So what happens It it condenses to form clouds and rain. Um, and so that's why all of the Earth's rainforests are actually located in the Earth's equatorial zone. There's a tendency to low pressure there.
1: OK, so we've got this low pressure at the equator and we're seeing the opposite in the polar regions. Is that right? We have this uh, a, a tendency to have high pressure in the polar regions.
0: In, invariably, yes. If, like, if you think about it, the Earth's largest desert is actually Antarctica. And it's a desert because it doesn't get a lot of precipitation. Due to the dominant feature being high pressure, which is cold, dense, heavy, descending air.
1: We have we've large deserts in, in other parts of the world as well, though, right? Is that due to, to high pressure as well?
0: Um, well, this is kind of where the rotation and the shape of the Earth comes in. So what goes up must come down, right? So if the Earth was a perfect sphere and it wasn't rotating, the air would rise at the equator and descend as cold air at the poles. The Earth isn't a perfect sphere and it's rotating on its own axis. So the air still rises at the equator but then it starts to descend as cold air well it's observed to start to to descend as cold air at around 25 to 30 degrees north and south. So because that air is heavy it kind of squishes all the clouds and rain out and so you get the desert zone and a tendency towards high pressure. And this process, like it, it repeats itself in pretty much an equal and opposite fashion at the poles. So you've got the cold, heavy air at the poles creating high pressure. And then at around 60 degrees, because of the shape of the earth and the rotation, um, this cold air starts to get a bit warmer and it starts to rise at around 60 degrees north. So you get these overturning masses of air going on uh, on the globe.
1: So I guess if we think about Ireland, where... We're at approximately, say, 53 degrees north. So we're in between these regions um, of, say, high pressure at, as you say, 30 degrees north and then low pressure at 60 degrees north. Um, What does that mean for us?
0: Well, Ireland lies in the upper end of this in-between 30 to 60 gap. So near enough to the low pressure zone, but with high pressure tendency to the south. So this is the actual global circulation setup. Due to the Earth's rotation and the fact that the Earth is wider at the equator than the poles, the air inside a low-pressure system actually flows anti-clockwise in the northern hemisphere. And and because of that, you end up getting easterly flow near the equator. In a high-pressure system, the air is flowing in the opposite way. It's flowing clockwise. So at around 30 or 40 degrees north where you get those the high-pressure zone happening, the general airflow there changes the airflow to westerly or southwesterly. And then when you go up to 60, it goes back to easterly again. So as a result of, of all of this, the prevailing wind direction in the mid-latitudes is westerly. So
1: we have these, these regions or, or bands around the Earth, I guess, where we have air moving in different directions, and I, I'm presuming air with different temperatures, and maybe I'll go to Pat on this one. What, uh, what's happening at the boundaries between these?
2: Scientists stroke meteorologists have figured out maybe maybe 50 60 years ago there was other process going on as well and they discovered ribbons are are rivers of of uh fast moving air in the upper atmosphere which was um the Japanese uh, figured it out but I think a German meteorologist um gave the name jet stream to these fast moving ribbons of air and effectively these uh, interact with the the movement of warm and cold air and move them around faster around the planet it meanders like a sine or a, a sine curve, north and south. It buckles, but uh, this was a huge uh, concept when it was when it was uh, 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 formulated and figured out. And then a lot of study has gone into, well, what exactly does the jet stream do, and how then does it affect these? These uh, large circulatory motions that are going on, these weather systems that form, does it move the low pressure areas faster or slower? What does it do to the high pressures? Does it go around them? Can it go through them? And uh, well, in simple terms, uh, low pressure systems interact very much with the jet stream. And when they do interact, the uh, low pressure systems deepen, uh, get more active, get more vigorous. The low-pressure systems, if they're left to their own devices, might be might meander around with very little happening. then. but once they come in contact with the these large rivers of fast-moving air, the pressure falls and the uh, air rises faster, and the um, the whole system is propelled much faster across, say, the Atlantic Ocean. On the other hand, if there's a, a high-pressure centre you often find that the, the jet stream just meanders around it and doesn't really go through it. So really the jet stream and low pressure have huge interaction, while lo- jet streams and high pressure
1: have little or none. What's the significance of these curves uh, or these bends occurring in, in the jet stream?
0: Well, the bends or buckling in the jet stream allows cold polar air to move south and warm tropical air to move north. So instead of this fast moving ribbon or boundary of air keeping all the cold, no- cold air to the north and all the warm air to the south, if the jet starts to curve or buckle, the system as a whole can become a bit more slow moving or you can get what we call blocked flow in the atmosphere. Now by blocked, I, I mean that the normal westerly or west to east movement of the air in the mid latitudes gets disrupted. And the other side of that is if the jet stream starts to buckle and bend, the air accelerates and decelerates around the bends in the flow. A bit like a roller coaster, really. Say say you're going up over the bend in your roller coaster and you're being slowed down as you go up that hill and then you go over the top and the roller coaster speeds up massively on the downhill. You get this huge energy release. So in the same way, the bends in the jet stream become these zones of potential development because there's energy being released um, and they can inject a lot of energy into the low pressure systems that cl- that interact with it.
2: What also has been figured out in the overall circulation and the interaction of the jet streams, a lot of the low pressure centres that form east of the Carolinas uh, on the east coast of America are other systems that like feed off the cold Rockies in Canada. If they Catch, it's a bit like getting uh, going to uh, Limerick on the train from Dublin and you have to make a connection at Limerick Junction invariably to uh, go to Limerick. One of our colleagues, Michael McAuliffe, one time used to make this analogy. If the low pressure system makes its connection with the jet stream, the low pressure area is going to deepen. And invariably when they deepen, they zip across the Atlantic and usually the preferred track is somewhere between Ireland and Iceland. And of course, when they come close to Ireland, we get the stormy weather. it go co- closer to Iceland and uh, they get it there. So it's the interaction, making that connection. The, the low-pressure centre uh, we see in a weather map is at the surface, but the jet stream can go up how many thousands or tens of, of kilometres into the atmosphere, and it's uh, meandering, it's moving, it's accelerating, going back to your analogy of the... Um, it's slowing down, going back to your analogy of the roller coaster. So sometimes... Our our models might suggest the low pressure will make the connection with and will deepen. Other times, you know, they might be slightly off, and it doesn't make the connection. So we're all the time watching to see the, particularly with bad weather, does the low pressure area interact with what's going on in the upper atmosphere? Because as we all know, we're we're all, it's all interdependent on each other. What happens at the surface? What happens in the upper air? Uh, And we have to understand both. So when a meteorologist is looking at a weather map, it's not just the surface weather they're looking at, which is important. We're also looking at the three-dimensional side of it. What's happening at 10,000 feet, 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet? What are the winds? What are the temperatures? And where's that fast-moving ribbon of air?
1: That's really interesting. So we're familiar with what conditions we have at the surface, but the upper air is essentially steering the conditions that we're experiencing at the surface. Is that right?
2: That's it. in one. um, We have the the, the steering flow and usually meteorologists look at a particular height for the steering flow. It's usually what we term 500 millibar flow, which is around 20,000 feet, give or take, depending, again, what's happening in the atmosphere. But we're also looking higher up in the atmosphere. Some of the strongest winds might be at 30,000 feet. And um, depending whether you're flying east or west across the Atlantic, if you can hitch a ride onto the jet stream you might get from New York to Shannon in double quick time, depending uh, as long as you don't get the turbulence
1: that goes with it. Do we see much variation in the jet stream through the year or season to season?
0: We do. The The jet stream in the middle latitudes is also known as the polar front and it's stronger in the wintertime because the earth is tilted away from the sun in the wintertime. So the temperature difference, therefore, is greater in the winter time between the the poles and the equator than it is in the summertime, so um, basically the temperature difference that's driving the the movement of the air, i.e. the wind, is also greater, and that in effect is why we get so many winter storms and not so many, although they can still happen in the summer.
2: True, and we also have a phrase: uh, "Are you on the warm side or the cold side of the jet? exactly? Yeah, and being and where you are is very important." Because if with this meandering snake-like feature, and if you're on the cold side of the jet, and so if Ireland, say, and Britain are on the cold side of the jet, there's likely to be more going on. If you're on the warm side of the jet, there's likely to be uh, more benign weather. So, you know, this this concept of jet streams, polar fronts, and being on the warm and cold side, that's kind of been introduced to the Irish public over the last 120 years. Like Evelyn Cusick was always a great person when she was on
1: TV to talk about the polar front and the jet stream. And a lot of people get it, a lot of people understand it. You mentioned how if you were in Ireland or in New York and you were flying that depending on which direction you're going it's going to slow you down or speed you up. So is the jet stream that we experience here in Ireland, is it generally flowing in the same direction?
2: It depends on how meandering the jet stream is. If the jet stream was in a straight line it would be coming from the southwest and blowing northeastwards. But of course, in, in an example earlier on, sometimes it will belly up towards Iceland. So the winds at, at the jet stream would be southwesterly. If it comes back towards us, the winds could be northwesterly. And of course, depending on the cycle, we could be in a very straight part of it with ex- intense winds, or we could be in a meandering part with bends, as Liz said earlier on. So depending where we are vis a vis what part of the jet stream is over us at the time and whether we're on the cold or warm side. Oh, it 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 it, it, um, it all has an effect. It all has an effect, exactly. Yeah.
1: So I guess if you're if you're combining that with the fact that we heard earlier that Ireland is in this band of air where the where the wind or the air is generally coming from the west or from the the southwest, so we've got a lot of westerly air coming over us that must have a big impact on our climate.
0: There's a place in Canada, Edmonton, in Alberta. It's at the same latitude as Dublin, like fifty three point three. Okay. Now get this: the January average daytime max is minus six degrees, and the January um, average daytime max in Dublin is plus eight. And uh, the minimum temperature average in January in Edmonton is minus fourteen point eight Celsius. Okay, and the record low is minus nearly minus fifty degrees. Okay. Dublin that's not the minimum <laughs> in January the minimum uh, like in in is usually around 2.4 degrees now obviously we can get frost in January but average 2.4 and the record low was minus 9.5 at Dublin airport this is the whole thing right edmonton is at the same latitude as as ireland um and it's in the global circulation it's got the southwesterly or westerly winds
2: well your point is well made but equally well um i often make an analogy that um Moscow and Cork are in the same latitude. And like Mm. your point about Edmonton, they get extremes. Yeah, We are temperate. We're in a temperate zone. And the weather in Ireland is generally of a temperate nature. Now, we don't all the time get too many extremes. But of course, uh, we have storms in the winter and we have some occasionally very warm, dry uh, spells in the summer. But one of the reasons our weather is temperate, compared to Edmonton and Moscow is because of the prevailing southwesterlies. It's coming over, um, uh, we're a maritime nation, it's coming over the sea. But luckily, in general, in general, again, we don't get the extremes that Edmonton and Moscow get. It's very, very hot in the summertime, very, very cold in the winter. And also, it comes down to our location, as you said, maritime nation, surrounded by an ocean. And then we also get a variety of what we call air masses, bringing in different types of
1: weather proximity to the water then, it seems to be a big moderating factor in our climate. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people would think, you know, because everybody thinks probably that Ireland's warm because of um, like the Gulf Stream in the in the ocean. But that's, it's it's only part of the story, right? Part of the story. Yeah.
2: significant part, but it's a part of the story, yeah. Think about it, again, if you go back to the mental picture of where Ireland is on the map, there is 6,000, 5,000 kilometre sea to the west of us. We have the Irish Sea which is very small to the east of us. So if most of our weather is coming from the Atlantic over this broad expanse of ocean it's going to pick up loads of moisture. While, uh, And so that will ac- help to activate our, uh, showers and also weather systems.
1: Can I ask what you mean by an air mass?
2: We would define uh, an air mass as the characteristics. Where does the air come from? How much moisture does it hold is it what's the temperature of that air is it warm is it cold is it cool has it modified itself in its travels uh, as it's approached Ireland as it's coming over Ireland so um,
0: but it's basically the like the air it's like a big mass of air that has the same characteristics
2: so it's correct same broad characteristics but where it's come from can be very very important did it come from a tropical air mass from the south from the southwest? Did it have a lot of heat to start with? Was it cold to start with? Did it have any chance to warm up? And you, we, would, we would identify these on weather charts. Air masses are very important. Where does the air come from and what's in that air mass? What are the characteristics? Are there lots of showers? Is there a lot of dry, warm, sunny weather?
0: OK, Pat, soft day. It's mild, um, misty, overcast. We've seen a lot of these days <laughs> with low what? cloud, outbreaks of rain and drizzle, fog, southerly winds, and there won't be any frost, even though it's winter. What air mass is it?
2: You could refer to it as tropical maritime, but tropical has a name that uh, I prefer to call a mild uh, maritime air mass that comes in from the the relatively warm Atlantic, as compared to uh, uh, where we are on the on the uh, fifth, at latitude at the latitude
1: we're at. Okay, so it's it's tropical maritime. Where 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 is that coming from, typically?
2: Well, in general, that air mass would have would have originated. Uh, to the south or southwest of Ireland at warmer climes um a lot of the, a lot of the low pressure center areas that come over Ireland that bring the weather that liz described earlier would have originated somewhere in the western atlantic and usually at about between 30 and 40 degrees north and in general that they would have probably started somewhere on the east coast of america so if you think about again your atlas that's to the south the sea temperatures are higher the air is the air is warmer and they're moving across the Atlantic. Okay, they're being modified to some extent because the uh, the Atlantic would be colder at uh, you know from about forty five fifty degrees north, the sea temperature will be a lot colder.
0: So what is that doing to the to the air mass then? Like you know, so it probably starts out nice and sunny, and then it travels over the oceans. So what happens? Well, you
2: see, you know, warm air will rise, and and clouds will form, and water vapor will form into clouds, and, and that's why we get the mist, and we get we get the mist and the drizzle and uh, and whatever but um, at the same time that sort of if it's a what we call a warm sector type day in the in the vernacular you know on the west coast of ireland if it's shrouded in low cloud mist and drizzle you know it's it's, it's also wetting the ground largely it's good for most crops except potatoes that's another story potato blight because of the humidity but as a thing from torrential heavy rain which can damage crops and can um, uh, obviously lead to flooding as well and runoff uh, you know, in farms and stuff like that. So it's a kind of a steady rain, usually not too heavy, but it does wet the ground and gives us our green grass.
0: Yeah, so we get a lot of days like that, I think, in Ireland. But another one, uh, the beast from the east. So yeah. what, what air mass um, would you have called that, pass? Well,
2: it's a cold air mass coming from a cold continent. So it would be polar continental, might be the the official term. But the beast from the east is really cold continental air. Uh, um usually from northern Europe from from polar uh, or Siberian um, areas so when it comes across the North Sea it picks up moisture they get snow a lot of snow showers oftentimes in the east coast of England they come across England pick up more moisture in the Irish Sea so when we get those easterlies in winter time uh it brings snow
1: yeah I'm just I'm just visualizing this here you're saying how so it's almost opposite to the tropical maritime you've got instead of uh, warm air coming up and being cold you've got quite cold air being brought over a warmer surface so it's been heated from from the bottom essentially a bit like putting cold water over a, a hot stove or something mm-hmm. like that you're getting this bubbling up of, of warm air and that that's what you're referring to as, as convection That's yeah.
0: literally what happens en masse um, you know, so when you see those showers coming in off the off the Irish Sea in that beast from the east and all the showers feeding mm-hmm. in onto the east coast, that's that's what it is. It's it's the pot of boiling water bubbling.
2: But it, there's also another added factor as well as all that's going on. The the temperature of the air and the ground over the landmass of Ireland itself and that setup would be very cold as well.
0: Yeah. So what happened when what happened in March 2018 though? So we had the beast from the east but we also had Emma coming up from the south. What happened there? Well, there was two
2: different systems. There was a, an active weather system, a low pressure centre down um, over, over Spain and it moved into the Bay of Biscay and moved northwards. So that brought a certain amount, its own characteristics. Uh, in particular, there was a lot of mild air. And, uh, so it
0: was tropical, well, maritime. Tro- tropical, well, yeah. Tropical, tropical inverted what it, commas. But
2: it um, clashed with the so-called beast from the east which is exceptionally cold air and um, when the when the warm air clashed with the cold air there was going to be one only a bad outcome and as it turned out there was a lot of snow over the eastern half of the country and particularly kind of eastern coastal counties of Ireland and southeastern coastal counties Leinster in the main was hit by kind of a double whammy we had uh, a lot of snow I and mean, we had a lot of snow on the ground for a good number of days if not weeks afterwards so it had a more lasting effect even when the system itself had petered out and moved away it had left uh, disruption behind, but you haven't mentioned a couple of other air masses that we get sometimes. Which actually, one of them brings um, a lot of warm weather, which is the uh, tropical continental. That's right, and uh, it's my favourite one. Well, it's a, it's the favourite one for most people as well, because usually we get temperatures well in well over twenty degrees, and uh, we get a lot of sunshine. Over time, it probably changes into hazy sunshine, and maybe when when it. Uh, it's time for it to leave and move on. We get some thunderstorms often at the end of it as well. but uh, And people often refer to the Spanish plume. But um, usually wa- there's always warm air over, over Spain. I mean, for example, Seville is known as the the oven of Europe. If anyone has been to the south of Spain, Seville is one of the hottest place, places in uh, in Spain. And the Spanish plume is this Parcel of warm air that gets uh, moved northwards in the in the pattern, the flow patterns aloft, and the t- and the winds, usually south southeasterly easterly winds over Spain, brings this so called Spanish plume over Ireland and Britain. Equally well, if it originates further south over Morocco and over the Sahara, uh, and we get some precipitation out of it, like it can, it can generate some showers. We can get uh, dusting of, we can get dustings on our cars, for example, which it's it's a. They're similar types of setups, except the origin is one is over the Sahara and the other is over Spain.
1: So on a, on a hazy, sunny day that we often get here. So you're saying that like that haze and that dust is actually coming, has been picked up over Spain or picked up over Africa and carried all the way to, to Ireland. Uh,
2: if that's where the air masses come from, we will get hazy sunshine for other reasons as well, because of uh, high clouds called cirrus that can, you know, temporarily black out the sun. But if there's embedded dust in it, it has come from southern climes.
1: Are there any of these sort of air masses or setups in the atmosphere that, as a forecaster, you're you're kind of dreading seeing coming, or you know that they're particularly difficult to forecast? Or
2: um. Well, over the years, the one thing that would not that, not difficult to forecast because we've got we've got way better. I'm nearly forty years at this job, and the one thing I've noticed uh, about forecasting the weather uh, when I started back in 1980, it was a mixture of an art and a science. And a lot of the older forecasters were very good at forecasting. But as McGilligan famously said to me, a famous old Irish meteorologist, I know how to forecast, but maybe don't know so much meteorology. As time has gone by, it's become more scientific. The weather models have become more accurate. And forecasting is, is you still need the human element. You still need the, the trained meteorologist to interpret all the science that's there. Because oftentimes it's conflicting. But the one thing that is, is what would worry me is if there's severe storms on the way. And the potential for, for um, what might happen to people and to property. So one of the focuses we've had in Metair over the last number of years is to get that nail that down as best we can, which brings us back into what you know, the, the job we do. And um, one of the things we've done is to name storms and stuff like that. Liz referred to it earlier on that the jet stream is much stronger in the winter time. So we get a reasonable number of storm developments very close to Ireland. And, um, you know, it could be 10 or 12 on a typical year, uh, you know, and, you know, what that impact might have and can we forewarn of that impact? Uh, It's great if if you're, if you're not warning, but forecasting fine, dry, sunny weather for most people, unless you're very fair skinned and you get sunburned, but, um, which is another issue. But uh, the one thing that, the the adverse weather, warning of adverse weather uh, is the, um, one of the most important things we do. And that's the thing that, you know, you're always watching out for.
1: From your years as a forecaster, is there, is there a particular event or forecaster decision you had to make that really, really stands out?
2: There's really just one event. There's just so much has gone on over over even a forecasters' life throughout the winter and summer. They might have had 10 storms in one winter. Um, I was on the day of Ophelia and I was the chief kind of uh, senior forecaster on the day and I had to run the forecast office on the day and we had we had a couple of our meteorologists on TV that day we had others dealing with the media. So we had to get that story, keep that story going, evolve that story, change that story. People were still running with the guidance from the the, the hurricane centre, but that had changed because the, the remnants of the hurricane were now in our waters. So that was an interesting day. Uh, in recent memory, that sticks out But as I say, when when you're at the job nearly 40 years, there's been a lot of days like that when when maybe the media wasn't, there wasn't so much media around at the time and everything is instant, which is different now. So you're doing your forecasting in a modern um, setup where, you know, you're getting instantaneous pictures back from, say, storm damage somewhere or heavy rain somewhere. In the past, you might have to wait till the next day to find out, you know, what exactly happened. Now there's instant feedback. So you have to monitor all the social media outlets as well, because it's kind of um, uh, there's a concept called wow uh, coming out on board whereby trying to interact with the public and get them to feed in more more quickly into the system so you can adapt and change the forecast. So it's basically involving the public uh, in real time. For example, if you've got heavy showers in Ireland and they turn into hail. Hail is ice falling onto a road, so that's highly dangerous. So, if you can get an instant report for that, it mightn't be showing up at our weather station. We're worried and concerned about it, but when you actually get a report uh, of something like that, well, then okay,
0: you know that you've been what you've been thinking is correct, yeah. and, and you've
2: and you can you can re-emphasize been, that aspect or issue a warning for that aspect. The
0: whole thing about it, is that it's been observed. You know, that's mm-hmm. it's the whole idea of like, you know, the science that we do is is what we observe. Like the reason why, like all the laws we talked about earlier, are there. It's because it's what we observe. It's not. Um, it's not something we made up. It's. It's kind of we. We put forward a hypothesis. There's a theory, mm. and then we observe it in action.
2: It's ground truth. If somebody reports a wind of 120 kilometers per hour, and you're forecasting that, but your weather stations haven't picked it up, so well. Okay, that validates that. Or If it's higher than you expect it, well, you can always adjust the forecast to that. So you're getting real information in real time, observed by real people. And, you know, that's invaluable.
0: Mm. So um, there are certainly multiple and variable causes of Ireland's weather. Our latitude, the fact that we're an island surrounded by the sea. But it's also to do with how the polar front jet stream is operating and and that global circulation that I talked at length about (laughs) giving us our prevailing wind but um, that's about uh, all we have time for today but for now thanks very much Pat thank you Pat
1: time now for this month's climate summary so we'll go over to Paul Moore who has the details on how our weather has been in Ireland this past June
3: here are the highs and lows for June 2019 based on data from Metairn's 25 synoptic weather stations June was cooler than average at all stations. The last time most stations were cooler than average for June was in 2015. The first three weeks of June were mostly cool and unsettled as a blocking area of high pressure over Greenland steered a cool air mass over Ireland. It warmed up during the final week of the month as a plume of very warm air which originated in North Africa and moved up over Ireland. The sunniest place for the month was in the southeast, where Johnstown Castle, County Wexford, recorded 208 hours of sunshine, 31% above average. While the station that recorded the least sunshine for the month was Knock Airport, with just 125 hours, 14% below average. The wettest place in June was Hayes, County Cabin, with 115.6 mm of rainfall which is 70% above average. By contrast, the driest place was Macehead, County Galway with 40.3 mm, 51% below average. The wettest day of the month was at Cork Airport on Sunday the 23rd with 39.1 mm of rainfall, which is Cork Airport's wettest June day since 2008. The highest monthly mean temperature for June was at Shannon Airport, County Clare, with 13.6 degrees Celsius, which is 0.9 degrees Celsius below its average. While the lowest mean temperature was 11.7 degrees Celsius at Knock Airport, 0.5 degrees Celsius below its average. The maximum temperature reported was at Shannon Airport on Thursday the 27th with 28.4 degrees Celsius, followed closely by Valencia Observatory, County Kerry, with 28.0 degrees Celsius on the same day. The lowest temperature for the month was reported at Mark County Sligo on the 15th with 1.1 degrees Celsius. There was a significant amount of lightning activity during the month, especially during the thundery breakdown at the end of the very warm period on Saturday the 29th in the eastern half of the country.
1: Thank you, Paul. And Paul will be back again next month with the Climate Report for July.
0: That brings us to the end of this episode. Our thanks again to Pat Clark for joining us in the studio, Alan Bennett at Headstuff, and Gavin Gallagher and the communications team at MetAaron. Thanks to you, the listener for tuning in. And as always, if you'd like to find out more about today's topic, you can check out the information on our webpage at met.ie forward slash podcast.
1: Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the webpage or wherever you normally get your podcasts from and get in touch using the MetAaron Twitter and Facebook pages, using the hashtag metAaronPodcast or by emailing us at podcastmet.ie.
0: Next month, we'll be talking hurricanes with John Cangelosi from the National Hurricane Center in Florida. We hope you'll join us for that, but for now, we will leave you with the sound of the Met Aaron The Eyes of Ours, and their rendition of Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Thanks for listening. Take care. Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, and just like the guy who's been a too big for his head those raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, they Keep Falling. Too so i just did me some talking to the sun and i said i didn't like the way